Amen. All right, take your Bible. We'll go to 2 Thessalonians this morning. 2 Thessalonians. We've been going through the book of 2 Thessalonians here. A little book with a lot of material. I sure am glad you came out this morning. Amen. You know, once it gets this time of year, it's a it's like a flip of the coin. <laughs> All of us young guys got four-wheel drives and just, oh yeah, let's go. And the older I get, I'm like, man, Tennessee sounds really good right about now. <laughs> Second Thessalonians. And Brother Cole was talking about living in harmony. And it takes the Lord to do that. <laughs> Amen. You ever just wake up, you know, you're married and you wake up. It's like at each other's throats and you're like, what in the world happened between good night, beautiful, and good morning, you vampire? <laughs> all right, all right. So that never happens to you. Know, that's a blessing. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the cooler weather. Father, we thank you for the snow that we had. Thank you, Lord, that it melted. Lord, if you could keep it melted to about May, that'd be wonderful. Father, I pray now that you'd open our eyes and behold wondrous things out of thy word. We thank you for the book, perfect book. And Father, we come before you. Uh, we know that without the Holy Spirit, we're ignorant. So, Father, we pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray you should help us to unhitch from any... Uh, Ideas about this book that we have are wrong. Help us, Lord, to come before it with the right motive and the right attitude in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now we left off on verse 11 here. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible says, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. So we were, looking at, uh, we were looking at that calling again in verse number 11. Would count you worthy of this calling. And, uh, and you connect that back to verse number 5, all right? And verse number 5 says, uh, Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. So there's the connection. And uh, we said this, the only way you're going to get there uh, to be rule, uh, worthy to reign is by you suffering. And, uh, and uh, so here again, Paul's calling them to suffer. And it seems like every time Paul shows up, remember in the book of 1 Thessalonians, they're going through it as well. It's like every time Paul showed up and every time uh, Paul would preach, they would listen. See, there's a, a preaching is a two-edged sword as well. You listen to the preaching, amen. Then you obey the preaching, and then you suffer for it. You know what God's doing? He's proving you. It's like they kept going. You ever just keep going back to church? And you're like, my goodness, my soul. <laughs> Things don't seem to be getting any better whatsoever. And sometimes you think you're not catching a break for nothing. And you're going through it. You're going through it day after day. And the Lord's proving you. And uh, you stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Could it just be that the Lord produces this body of evidence called your life where you took the preaching and you suffered for it because you listened to the preaching and you obeyed the preaching? And he's like, that's what I'm talking about right there. And for whatever reason, you know, this uh, day and age you and I live in, it's like 
you know, preaching is supposed to make everything wonderful. No, it's quite the opposite. The lack of preaching makes everything superficially wonderful. And is it just so wonderful to be here? And it's just so great that we could get together until you get to preaching. Uh, and we'll find out a little bit because uh, people, people of this day, they want teachers. We could fill the place up with just teaching. But you know what keeps people out that door? It's preaching. Why? Because a preacher, if he's worth his salt, will tell you what you are. And this day, in this age that you and I are part of, Christians no longer want some loudmouth preacher telling them what they are. The audacity of some people. <laughs> it's the foolishness of preaching, the Bible says, that saves them that will believe. But the only way you get to rule and reign, the only way you get uh, to become worthy is to suffer. And we went through Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. And Paul says there, uh, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right? And that's what we're just saying. As we left off on Wednesday, you got to work out what's on the inside. Because it's Christ that's inside of you working. That's verse 13, Philippians 2, 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God's working to get out of you what's on the inside. What's on the inside? Philippians 1, 6. Philippians 1, 6 says... I just had it and escaped my mind. I, I, I can paraphrase it, but I'm not going to do it. Say it again. Thank you. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work, and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see that? The only good thing about you is the day you got saved, he began that good work inside of you. And it's still there. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, look, now that thing's got to come out. And what you've got to do is get that thing to the surface. You see that? And the only way for that thing to do, uh, to get to the surface, is to get rid of this vessel. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, for we have this treasure in earthen vessels, right? That's the excellency, maybe of, uh, excellency of the power may be of Christ and not of us. The treasure's in here. This, isn't the, this is the vessel. So how do you get it to the outside? You've got to get rid of the vessel. You can't get hung up. People are hung up with the vessel, man, I'm telling you. Uh, you've got to put the vessel aside. You've got to stop having such high regard for your vessel. And that's uh, when you live in the flesh, then you spend most of your time running errands for the vessel. But the treasure's inside it. And you got to get that thing out to the, out to the front. You, go, you say, how do you do that? You put the flesh down. You stop giving it what it wants. You stop letting it tell you what to do. You stop letting it, letting it control you, right? First Corinthians, uh, all things are lawful, all things are expedient, but I'll not be brought under the power of any. That's your flesh telling you what to do, and you're like, oh, okay, yes, sir, right away, sir. <laughs> That's what we do, right? I think of something that you do that, uh, is, that defines who you are, but it's a fleshly thing. I don't say it out loud, just think it. And just, if you got the guts, tell your flesh to drop dead next time that thing tells you what to do. But it's who I am, even more so, drop dead. 
Right? So you've got to put the flesh down and always be willing to deny your flesh. Easy preaching, hard to do. Amen? I, I know who's given the message. <laughs> but Paul's flesh was a mess, right? Paul's attitude was, uh, like we said, uh, when he first got saved, is what wilt thou have me to do? But you look at Philippians 2.13 and he seems to say this, what do you want to do with me? What do you want to do with me? That's the difference. The baby Christian goes, okay, I'll go to work for you, Lord. I mean, if you ain't even there, I mean, that's a different story. But Paul says as a baby Christian, what wilt thou have me to do? Why? Because the Lord unhorsed him <laughs> or undonkey, whatever. He had him under the gun. Okay, okay, uncle, 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 I give. <laughs> whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'll do it. <laughs> but here he's like, for it's God which worketh in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. Paul's attitude was, Lord, what do you want to do with me today? You want to beat me? All right. Just like you, I'll give my back to the smiters. You want to whip me? Okay, go ahead. Uh, you want to have a bunch of angry mob outside of Lystra stone me? Cool, man. I'll get home sooner. I'll get up and let her rip. <laughs> what, what, do you, I mean, just think about it. If, if the Lord, not that he would never do this. You've got the completed revelation right here. But if the Lord somehow got information to you, you're going to go downtown and preach a message. They're going to kill you. Would you go preach it? I'd like to think I would. I'd be like, okay, let's get this over with. <laughs> man, you'd be on the next thing smoking, man. What are you kidding me? You'd be out of here. <laughs> but you got to get rid of the vessel. And it's, Lord, what do you want to do with me? Are you willing to say, Lord, what do you want to do with me? And the Lord's going to put you through some things to see what you're worth. And that's where we left off. And apparently in the passage, 2 Thessalonians 1.11 uh, he says, count you worthy. I guess that means uh, some folks won't be counted worthy to rule and reign. And not everyone gets the trophy, right? Not everyone gets a, an award for participation. Why? Because some didn't participate. You know, there's a difference between being, being saved and being a Christian. There's a lot of saved people, but there's not many Christians. You look up that word Christian, and it's found three different times in the Bible, and it defines what a Christian is. Alright, look at verse 12. He says in verse 12 that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, so uh, the only way that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified is if you put you down and you put him first. Don't you remember some of you graduated from high school and everyone's smiling at you, giving you cards with money. They go, okay, put the Lord first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. <laughs> you ever hear that stuff? Oh, follow the Lord. And then you got these jokers out there. Uh, their, their favorite phrase is, follow your heart. I'm like, my goodness, if you knew about my heart, what I know about my heart, you wouldn't be within 100 yards of that thing. <laughs> that thing's bad. <laughs> but, uh, but you got to put you down. you got to put him first. So verse 12 goes on to say, And ye and him, according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. So what? you got to give him the credit. Anything you do is what? Christ in you. Remember when Enoch walked with God? They, the more they saw of him and the less they saw of Enoch. The more he walked with the Lord, the less they saw of him, right? And Enoch was not because God took him. And then you see in that passage, Enoch's gone, but God's still there. When you walk with Jesus Christ, the more you walk with him, it ought to be, they ought to be seeing him. And... Uh, it's for Christ to be glorified, not you. Why are we to be doing what we're doing today? Ever stop and think about it? Why are we doing what we're doing? 
is for Jesus Christ. I know this, look, this is post-Thanksgiving blues, right? We have just put everything in our flesh, <laughs> and hopefully some of y'all are going to put the brakes on it come Monday, right? <laughs> some of y'all sugar comatose, you know? But what are we supposed to be doing for him? Well, whatever it is, we're supposed to be done for Jesus Christ. For him to be glorified, not us, not our church. We're not here for our church to be glorified. That's why some people aren't a fan of this place. Because we don't make this, oh, it's not for our church to be, it's for Jesus Christ to be glorified. It's all about him. It's not about you. It's not, definitely not about me. That'd be a short topic over real soon. Amen. It's not about our church. It's not about, how about this? It's not about our denomination. Why? Because most of the Baptists are a soup sandwich. <laughs> you say, why are you a Baptist? Because Baptists stand against Rome. Amen. It's the only denomination that stands against Rome. That's it. You say, well, I know some Baptists and they believe this. Well, I don't care. I believe the Bible. I don't care what they believe. That's why we're independent Baptists. I'm sorry, Bible-believing independent Baptists. All right, so whatever we're supposed to be doing is for Jesus Christ, not our thoughts, not our beliefs, not our actions, uh, nothing to lift us up, but that Christ might be lifted up in all things. That's it. That's a tough thing. Why? This world tells us it's all about you. You only go around once. What's in it for me? Did you treat yourself this Thanksgiving to the new pumpkin pie? It feeds you itself, you know. He says, but that Christ might be lifted up in all things. All the good that we do in Him is through us anyways. You know, you had no ability to do good before you were saved. He said, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. I know you know this, but it's good to be reminded. It's like after a while of being saved, you actually start thinking you're somebody. I'm not talking about not having self-worth and you're like the, uh, my preacher says, uh, you're Lord and whale poop in the bottom of the ocean. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, look, you're, you were no good before you got saved and the only thing that makes you any good right now is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. What happens is we actually start thinking we're good. Why? God's blessing us. We think we deserve it. And look at me. Look where I've come from. Look, look how far I've progressed. You look in the mirror lately? You went the other way. Amen. I'm talking about me. The Bible says there's none that doeth good, none righteous, no, not one. Thing is, is once you got saved, then you had the power to do good. Amen. And that power he's talking about here, that's the work of faith and power in verse 11. The power comes through what Jesus Christ has done through you. But, here it is, got to yield yourself to him. You've got to yield your vessel to him. And like I said, this comes all, keeps coming back. Too many people worried about the vessel. You see, too many people worried about the vessel. They like the vessel. It's a pretty vessel. It's a clean vessel. It's a straight vessel. It's a peculiar vessel. We're a peculiar people. It's about Jesus Christ, not your peculiarities. Right? It's not about the vessel. It's all about him. What the Lord wants to do, it's... Uh, Think about it like this. This will make good sense to you. It's like Mary in the alabaster box. You know what he wants to do with your vessel? He wants to break it. Not pour some of it out, as the preacher says. He wants to break it. Why? Because then he gets the credit and not you. He controls it, not you. He wants to take that vessel and he wants to burn it beyond all recognition. 
You say, preacher, you're scaring me. It's the passage. It's all about Jesus Christ. He wants you to break the box that everything that's on the inside, that sweet perfume can come through on the outside. That's what it is. Anything good, you're going to have to be broken for that thing to come out. Christ practiced that, and he practiced what he preached. Christ's body was what? Broken for you. Christ's body was broken. Mary's alabaster box was broken. And the Christian vessel, well, if God's going to get any glory out of it, it's going to have to be broken. You have to be Romans 12, 1 and 2, a living sacrifice on that altar, burnt beyond all recognition. A lot of Christians are like, oh, yes, I want to be a living sacrifice. Put me on. Is your all on the altar? Oh, but here comes the fire. Whoa, 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 whoa. Was it the Bugs Bunny commercial? Right? <laughs> or that's Wiley Coyote or something like that and the dynamite. That's what we are. The fire comes, we're like, no. Well, Christ's body was broken for you. Paul talks about a living sacrifice and what the Lord wants to do, like we said, he wants to put your body on the altar so that it's burned beyond recognition. You know why a lot of things don't happen in your Christian life? Because you want the recognition for it. God's not going to let, God won't share his glory with anybody else. He's very, very jealous. He's very stingy of his own glory. What the Lord wants you to do is put your body on the altar, burn it beyond all recognition, and that soul, what is left, can't be recognized. That's a hard thing. It's not easy. It's a putting down of the flesh. It never gets easy. I'll say it again. It never gets, at least for me, it don't. Oh, I've been doing this for years. <laughs> it's still just as hard this morning as it was 10 years ago. Nevertheless, that should be our aim. Our flesh is on the altar, burnt beyond all recognition, so that anybody that sees anything or gets glory for anything, that's always Christ that gets the glory for it and not us. I'm telling you what, in the worst of times that you can go through, when you're going through absolute, you would call it hell on earth, it would seem, God does something. You know why? Because you're seeking Him. You're like, Lord, you better help me. And all of a sudden, right up from the ashes, here comes this fruit. Here comes this sweet thing. Here comes this glorious thing. And you're like, where did that come from? And the Lord's like, me, man, where do you think it came from? It sure wasn't you. Now, I want to hit this thing in verse 11 one more time about being found worthy. The verse says, count you worthy of his calling. And we talked a lot about it, but I want to go over it just one more time. That worthiness has to do with your willingness to suffer for the cause of Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 6, 33. I know most of you know this verse, but Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. All right, the Lord says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Another good verse to run with that is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understandings, and all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Well, preacher, I don't know what I should do about my future. I don't know what I should do about my job. And all thy ways acknowledge Him. I don't know what I should do in my family. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. Whatever you do, give him the glory. Give him the credit. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. That pretty much cover all the bases. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put God first. You put God first, you can't go wrong. 
<clears throat> and if you get to the judgment seat of Christ and ever think about it like this, the Lord puts a crown on your head. And when the Lord puts that crown on it, you ever stop and think that no one will ever be able to tell you you're not worthy of that crown? Remember when Jesus Christ was crucified, this whole world that was around then, they saw him leave with a crown of thorns, didn't they? And when he comes back there at the second advent and the crowns are put on his head, guess what? Not anybody in the world is going to say he's not worthy of that crown. And so likewise, when you stand before the Lord of Judgment Seat of Christ and he hands out crowns and he puts that crown on your head in front of billions of people, ain't nobody going to say you didn't earn it. And uh, that same thing applies for you. The only way you can obtain that crown is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our sonship. And the same thing goes far, as far as you ruling with Christ. And it has to do with you suffering for Jesus Christ. And the only way you can be found worthy is to suffer. Let me ask you this question. I asked the Lord if I could preach a message about this. And he said no, so I'll just make the comment. You ever just stop and think about sticking your neck out for the Lord every now and then? If the only way you and I get to rule and reign is to suffer, I mean, we live in the land of plenty, don't we? You still doing all right? I mean, we live in probably the richest country in the world. I get there's some little blip on the map somewhere where, you know, everyone's got gold-plated camel shoes and all that. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about as far as this vast fruited plain. We live in the richest country with the most natural resources and feed the entire world, blah, 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 and all that. You ever stop and think of the only way you and I get to rule and reign is this? You ever just stop and think, I wonder if I can stick my neck out for the Lord? I mean, the, the thing you're most worried about, just go ahead and do it. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about spiritual. You ever do that in your giving? You ever try to sneak up on the Lord? Like you throw that, maybe he won't catch it, you know? And just... You give above the tithe every once in a while. You know, just, just sneak that around there. Sure enough. You ever just stick your neck out for the Lord? I mean, we stick it out for ourselves, don't we? I'm not getting on you. I'm just talking to you this morning, just trying to give you the sense of the Scripture. You ever just stop and think about if the only way you and I are going to get to rule and reign? You really think you're just going to be satisfied sitting in the house? I mean, the Bible makes it very clear. If you do not suffer with Jesus Christ, you will not rule and reign with him. You say, well, what happens to all those that don't suffer? Well, they must stay at the house. You see what I mean? In my father's house are many mansions. And when Jesus Christ comes back, he comes back, Revelation 14, with the armies of heaven, 19 rather, Joel chapter 2. But if you're not one of those that suffered and going to rule and reign, where are you going to be? Have you ever just expanded your theology a little bit more than fairy tale land? I mean, if the only way we're going to rule and reign is to suffer, I'll, maybe I'm not talk, talking go be nuts and you know go down to the bar and jump on the pool table and you know preach to a bunch of drama. I'm not talking about you ever just start, stop thinking about, Amen. Sticking your neck out for the Lord. Well, I could get in trouble for. Well, if you're not breaking law, get in trouble. Get in trouble for the Lord. I'm not saying do something that would, uh, you know, terribly irresponsible. But what if it was just a little bit, you know? I mean, come on, guys. Y'all bought stuff you couldn't afford. That was a little bit irresponsible. You did it anyways. I mean, come on. Stick your neck out for the Lord. But anyways, just like Job, the devil comes uh, at the Lord and says the only reason, he says, Job, the only reason uh, he loves, I'm sorry, uh, the devil comes at, at the Lord and, and tells him that the only reason Job loves him is because he's got it hedged in. 
I mean, couldn't you love the Lord if he made you a millionaire? I mean, you look at Job's assets, he's a millionaire. I mean, I'd even say I love the Lord if he made me a millionaire. I'd even tithe. <laughs> I'd even give above the tithe, amen? But you know what happens? And uh, the, way you, uh, you, the way you shut the mouth of other people is by suffering for Jesus Christ. And some of you know a little bit about suffering, and some of you maybe not so much. You ever stop and think about Paul, and he wasn't successful in the eyes of, of Christianity? He wasn't successful at all. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, look at 2 Corinthians 11. I want you to match this up to modern-day Christianity. Modern-day uh, TBN style, TCT style, modern-day, uh, you know, you know, modern-day whatever, religion. Go downtown here somewhere. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you look at Paul's life, you wouldn't consider him to be successful at all. You wouldn't. Not if you're, not if you're raised in America, you wouldn't. You know what Americans say? Well, if you're not growing numerically, you must be doing something wrong. Now, we have a 10% growth plan on attendance this year. <laughs> That's what they say. I'm not quite sure what y'all's plan is for the business you work at and that. But I had a business plan every quarter. You know what I found out? The more you banged out the last quarter, the more they tacked on to the next one. It's almost like it didn't pay almost. But look at this, 2 Corinthians 11, 24, of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes, save one. That don't sound successful. Would you sit under a preacher that got beat in front of the town square? There's a stigma with that. Before you run your mouth and say you would, just better think about it. Let me tell you what. In the last eight years, when trouble hit this church, you know what happens to people? Out that window, out that window, out that door. There you go. Bye. Why? Trouble. I'll look at 25. Thrice was I beaten with rods. I mean, can you imagine Paul showing up? Hey, I'm here to preach a meeting. And all black and blue and puffy eyes and broken nose. I bet you he rolled into some churches naked as a jaybird. What happened? Stole my clothes again. Good night, Paul. Get in here. You're, you're a disgrace. I don't even know what this guy in the pulpit. <laughs> uh, 26, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren. Well, you know, Paul, he's, he just, you know, he's just not living right. You're, just, you're not living like you should, and that's why all that, that's Job's friends. Verse 27, and weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst. Oh, Paul, ain't you got enough sense to stop by McDonald's and get a burger or something? Right? No, I was fasting. I was praying, I was praying for the churches. Uh, well, why didn't you stop and get something to eat, Paul? Well, you know what? It, it's okay. And then they press him. and then they, I just didn't have any money. You know, they're not going on my good looks. Look at 28. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So if you look at Paul's life, you wouldn't think of him to be successful at all. He was a flop. And the Lord gives Paul what as a reward? Thorn in the flesh. <laughs> you ever feel like that? Go through it. Go through it. Go through it. Here's a thorn. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> and Paul turns around and says, Lord, could you like give me a break? He's like, nope. He goes a second time, Lord, uh, could you uh, remove the thorn? Nope. Uh, Lord, uh, I, I know you're probably busy the first two times, but 
Would you please get rid of this thorn? My grace is sufficient. Ain't going to take it away, Paul. And sometimes uh, that's what it is, and that's all you're going to get, Paul. Uh, you're going to have nothing but trials, nothing but tribulations, nothing but persecutions. That's a Christian life if you want to live it. Now, we could make this message all about standards. We could make this message all about what we should wear to make all the people of God happy. Or else you could just be a Christian and live your life for Jesus Christ, give Him the honor and glory, and He'll put something on you can't take off with Ajax. You see what I mean? You see this Christianity going around the country, a bunch of Bible believers report all about pants and pork and hair and hemp. I ain't got the stomach for it, man. Why? That's like second grade stuff. If you ain't got figure, you ain't got enough sense to figure out what to wear, ask your husband. If you ain't got enough sense, we'll pray for you both. <laughs> Don't ask me. <clears throat> you say, well, that's, uh, that's sacrilegious. No, it's not. I just, I just don't concern myself with what the women wear. Amen. Not my business. All right, just glad you come with clothes on. What a blessing it is. All right, and so he gives them nothing but trials, tribulations, and persecutions. And so when Paul tells the other people about persecution, guess what? They know he's suffering. He's backing it up with his life. You ever try to comfort someone with the scriptures and it just seems kind of shallow? You ever say that? Well, I know it seems kind of shallow. I know over, you know, the Bible says over in Romans 8, 28, uh, all things work together for good. And in the back of your mind going, I ain't never been through what they've been through, so I probably should just shut up right now. And I know it sounds really, really shallow, but thank you. Or I know it sounds really shallow, but I'm praying for you, translation. I don't pray often. I need to pray more, so I feel convicted, so I have to say that. Well, when Paul tells other people about persecution, they know he's suffering too. And uh, he'll definitely have a right. Uh, he'll be worthy to rule and reign. So that'll complete uh, chapter uh, 1 there. And as we get into chapter 2, you've got to remember, Paul was trying to exhort and edify this growing. He's trying to help them out. And if there's something you and I need in these last days, we need help. And the church, I don't care how long someone's been saved. I don't care how long someone's been sitting under preaching. I don't care how many preachers they know. I don't care how well they know Bible doctrine. The church needs help. You need exhortation. You need edification. And you need it on a weekly basis. And uh, as we go into chapter 2, Paul's going to give this church some help in prophetic things and help them get the Bible right. If you remember, we were into chapter 1, and I know this is going to be some heavy stuff, so I'm going to give it to you the best that I can and hopefully be a blessing to you. But uh, what happened is uh, in chapter 1, they're suffering, right? And Paul's trying to give them some comfort. He's trying to give them some exhortation. He's trying to help them out. Why? When you get suffering, like we said before, and when you're under trials and tribulations, you start thinking you're on the wrong side. You start thinking like, I must be doing something wrong. And it's the exact opposite. We've just been talking about it over and over again. You're not doing something wrong. You're doing something right. And when you get suffering, that's the only way you're kind of worthy to rule and reign. But here, this is uh, chapter 2. He pulls away from that suffering part. He's going to get into helping them get the Bible right. And in these day and age, not only do we need to be exhorted and comforted and edified when we're going through trials and tribulations, but we have to continually get good preaching and right preaching and sound doctrine in our preaching. Why? To get the Bible right. Because if you don't get your Bible right, then you're going to get in trouble. You see, there are three ways you get in trouble in this, in this, in this book. You get in trouble for doing right. 
You get in trouble for getting the Bible wrong, and then you get in trouble for doing wrong. You're like, that's a lose-lose. Absolutely. <laughs> that's why heaven's the place for answers. Amen. <laughs> but uh, look at uh, verse 1 here. Chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him. So right off the bat, I want to show you something uh, uh, doctrine-wise. You want to notice the comma that is after Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice uh, the, what you have before the comma, before the comma, before the comma is the second advent. That's the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's when Jesus Christ comes back on a white horse, so forth and so on. And what you have after the comma, after the comma, after the comma, is the rapture of the church and by our gathering unto him, gathering together unto, uh, gathering unto him. You say, well, that's not chronologically correct. You're absolutely right. That's how the Lord wrote the Bible. And you're going to find out there's several places in your Bible where the chronology is backwards. And you say, well, why, why would Paul do that? Why would the Lord, why would the Holy Spirit allow that in there? I'll tell you why. I believe the reason the Lord does it that way is to catch lazy Christians and to give those who are already critical of the Bible a place to go ahead and hang themselves spiritually once and for all. You see, you've got to remember the Bible is designed to bless those that study it with the right motive. But also that Bible was written and designed to destroy the man who comes to it with an ulterior motive. So many times in your Bible, the Lord will lay out chronology and he'll, he'll, he'll put that stuff backwards. And here's one of those instances. Uh, you and I were told in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, by the way, I'm sure you know this, it's taken out of all the new Bibles, the command to study. Study to show thyself approved unto God. So we're supposed to study to not appear smart. Who doesn't like good Bible knowledge, though, right? Don't you, don't you like learning something you never learned before? I do, too. But we're not supposed to study to appear smart. We're not supposed to study for the purpose of writing books. Or we're not supposed to study for the purpose of creating a YouTube channel. Or so you can become an authority on your favorite topic or to trumpet someone else's Facebook post. But there's three reasons, remember? Why are we supposed to study? All right. We went over this already. Number one, you study to be quiet. You know, uh, when Paul wrote that, he was talking to the Baptist. Amen? And that's 1 Thessalonians uh, 4.11. A second reason you're supposed to study in the Bible is the uh, Bible says in Proverbs, uh, study it to answer. So you study to answer. And that's Proverbs, I believe that's 15. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28. And then, uh, and then what kind of answer are you supposed to have? Well, that's 1 Peter 3, 15. You're supposed to have an answer of the hope that lieth within you. I mean, uh, some people think, well, they've got a, you know, they got to know when the Lord's coming back. I, I, I like that stuff too. But the real reason you answer is to give an answer of the hope that lieth within you. What's the hope? Christ's coming back. And then, of course, the last we just mentioned at 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 15, you study to show thyself approved unto God. 
All right, so the Lord puts these two events chronologically backwards. And you know what? He does that in Psalm 89 also. Psalm 89. Uh, 16 to 35. Uh, those verses are second advent verses. And then Psalm 89. Oh, 35 to 43. Those are all first advent references. You see that? I'll give you another one. Here's another one. Here's another chronological backward thing. You get over there in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. You know what you've got? You've got the battle of Gog and Magog. You say, where is that? That's at the end of the millennium. And then you get over to Ezekiel chapter, what is it, 39? And you know what you have? You got the Battle of Armageddon. Backwards. And that's at the end of the tribulation. You see the chronology difference there? 38, Gog and Magog. That's at the end of the millennium, going out into eternity. Chapter 39... Uh, it's talking about the Battle of Armageddon at the end of the Tribulation. Those things are backwards. I'm just showing you. I'm, I'm sure most of you all know this and have other references available. But the Lord will put that thing in there backwards. You say, why? So you'll study. That's it. So you study. Uh, just because the history book's laid out in chronological. The Bible is not man's book. The Bible's God's book. And I'm just showing you there's other places in the Bible. And, and that's just two of probably 50 where the chronology is backwards. And so here you get in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1, and you've got that thing there where the events are listed backwards. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the second advent. Then you have the comma. And then the rapture, and by our gathering together unto him. Let's grab verse 2 here and be done. The Bible says that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letters from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. All right, notice here you got neither by spirit, that's a small s, that's an inner voice. Then he says neither by word, that's an outer voice. And then he says nor by letter, that's a written voice. And then he says as from us. You see that phrase in there, as from us? It's like someone's counterfeiting what, what they're saying. It's a counterfeit. It's like people here were teaching uh, that people had missed the rapture and were going to go through the tribulation. You know what you have in 2022? Every time something bad happens, you know, 2020, you know, January 6th, you got a bunch, oh, we're in the tribulation. Oh, we're in the tribulation. Oh, the blood moons. Ah, sorry, sweetheart, the blood moons were done in 2015 and 16. <laughs> oh, the red heifer. Oh, the Shemitah. <laughs> And all that stuff. But people here were teaching that they, people had missed the rapture and are going to go through the tribulation. Verse, and that's why Paul says in verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means. Now that's a verse you need to hang on to. You realize it's your job, it's your responsibility to not let anybody deceive you when it comes to biblical things. No preacher, no pastor. Even if I do my dead level best, it is between you and the Lord to go back and check that stuff out. I gave you a hundred scripture references. You ought to take them home and look up every single one of them if you wrote them down. Why? Check, make sure I'm right. 
You say, why? Human. What if I'm wrong? Well, surely you... What if I'm wrong? Let no man deceive you by any means. And uh, they were trying to tell them, uh, people that day were trying to tell them they're going through the tribulation period. And trying to tell them they had missed the rapture of the church. You see how unsettling that would be? You ever have, have those dreams as a kid? Maybe that happens as an adult. Oh, I missed the rapture, you know. Kids running through the house, can't find mom or dad or anybody. You're like, oh, I missed the rapture. <laughs> Everyone's gone. You never thought that? It's because some of you weren't subjected to those terrible movies in the 70s. What was it called? Uh, what was that series? Yeah, it was terrible, man. People getting their heads chopped off and everything. They showed it right there on that screen right behind us, man, in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, man. You say all kinds of people got saved. Yeah, you better believe it. Heads roll, man. <laughs> Might not be a bad idea. Break it back out again. A little off in their doctrine on the end times, but hey, man. <laughs> but uh, let no man deceive you by any means. And uh, people were trying to tell them they'd missed the rapture of the church. And since they'd missed the rapture of the church, and they were landlocked on the ground. They had to go through it. Tell you what, church, you ain't going to go through the tribulation. I tell you what, you can take comfort in that. A member said at the beginning of chapter 1, what shakes people up is persecution. I'll say it again. We'll hit this thing all the way through. Whenever you start getting persecuted, you start thinking that you're on the wrong side of things. Your right and wrong gets crossed. And next thing you know, you're doubting yourself. And that's not always the case as we discussed. And secondly, what shakes people up is the wrong teaching in the Bible and getting their Bible messed up. Thank you, thief in the night. Oh, my goodness. Nobody eating popcorn during the guillotine scenes, I'll tell you right now. Thief in the night. Yeah. And listen, think about it. Um, I say this with grace. You have access to a lot of Bible. You have access to a lot of Bible teaching. If you're faithful to the services, you have access to more than usual. But consider, if you don't know enough Bible to keep your Bible straight, you have a tendency to get nervous about things. Nervous. Nervous in the service. <laughs> so these people here, they're going into apostasy. They're falling from a standing state. And we'll pick this up uh, probably tonight here in verse number 3 where he says, Let no man deceive you by any means. Because uh, Schofield, great reference Bible, but he changes a passage in here and uh, makes uh, the church go through the tribulation. He changes the day of Christ to the day of the Lord. And that's a big no-no. You don't change the book. Amen. All right. We'll stop right there.